Amen. Thanks, Bobby Lee. Appreciate it so much. Good morning, everybody. Glad to have you here today. We are uh, continuing this morning in our summer series that we've called Vitals. We've been taking uh, eight weeks this summer, basically the, the Sundays that are in July and August. And for two uh, back-to-back Sundays, we're focusing on one topic, kind of drilling down and, and spending, giving each one of them two weeks. And so we got four topics, eight weeks, and we're in the third topic. Uh, but the first two, if you remember, were about spiritual formation, uh, understanding how God's desire is that Jesus would be formed in us. And as he is formed in us, then we are transformed more and more into his image. And so uh, we pray that that would continue to be part of our journey, that we would be formed in Christ Jesus. We also talked about marriage and family. Uh, we looked at the role of, uh, specifically of, of husbands and how we're called to love our wives as Christ loved the church. And then we also looked at the role of parents. Again, only two weeks, so we couldn't focus on all of the roles that exist within a family, such as uh, being a wife or being, uh, what it means to be a child and living in obedience to their parents. Not that those topics aren't important, uh, but those two that we looked at were the, the husband and then the parenting. And again, hopefully understanding that what God's call on us is, is that we would be spirit-filled husbands, that we would be spirit-filled uh, parents. Last week, we began on that third topic of authenticity. And as you can see on the top of your notes, that's where we're at. Authenticity, uh, a, a simple way to understand what that means is it's basically simply being real. And last week, I gave you five or six uh, aspects or, uh, you know, important things to consider. And they're listed there in the top of your notes uh, that you can pull out and follow along if you'd like. Those aspects of a, of a culture that is real are things like honesty. Of course, if we're not honest with one another, it's very difficult to develop a culture where we are, are authentic, where we are real. Simplicity, that is, it can't be so complex and so difficult to navigate. It must, there must be a certain level of simplicity that people, regardless of where they're at in their journey or where they're at in their education or even age or background with the church or whatever, that there's entry points. It must be simple enough that we provide those on-ramps to experience that uh, authentic culture. I also think a culture that is authentic or real is one of clarity. It's not veiled messages and hidden sort of meanings so that, again, it becomes very convoluted and very difficult to navigate rather than having that spirit of our yes is going to be yes, our no is going to be no. There's going to be a, a clarity to what we say, and that's an important aspect of that culture as well. Sincerity, that is, we're not, of course, again, it would be very difficult to have something that is authentic and insincere at the same time. And so we're going to take a look even a little bit uh, at that in more detail in just a minute when we get to today's text. I also think that in a being real culture, as I shared last week, humility is a po an important part of it. I have, to, I have to recognize that I don't always have the perfect perspective or correct answer. I have to be humble and open to, be, to correction. I have to be humble and open to someone else's perspective, to, to receiving from someone else. Even those things where we might find it very difficult, like rebuke and admonishment and correction, those kinds of things are difficult to receive. And if I'm not humble, I can immediately begin to put up defenses against that, right? In an authentic culture, there's a level of humility that allows us to recognize that we haven't yet arrived. There's still more for us to learn. There's, we still have to mature and grow in our relationship with God and with each other. 
If you remember the words of Paul, he said, I I haven't already obtained all of this, that is perfection. I, I haven't already been made perfect, but I'm forgetting what is behind and I'm straining toward what is ahead. So his, uh, even that humility that he displayed in those verses are a key for us in understanding what it means to have a culture that's real. And then last, but maybe most important, we must rely on the grace and the power of God for this culture to, to be achieved. We're not going to do it on our own. Because again, most of us, if not all of us, have a certain level of selfishness, self-focusedness, self-interest, self-obsession, whatever it might be, that really makes it difficult for an authentic, real, loving culture to take place. And so we have to trust in the one who said he is able to do immeasurably more than he could ever ask or imagine. So if he can do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine, according to the, the scriptural truth, then he can even turn our culture, uh, the community of a church, into one where we are able to be real with God and real with each other. We talked about that aspect of being in a real relationship with God last week, last week, right? Unlike Everett, who is George Clooney's character in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? We know that according to his wife, he wasn't bona fide. We saw that we as, as believers are called to be bona fide believers. And so I shared with you from 1 John chapter 1, and uh, just in, in matter of review, I'll just share that again, that text with you to, to remind you of what that text says. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, it says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. If you remember, we talked about how the understanding of, of moving from, a, from just a, uh, a casual person who has some sort of a religious affiliation with a group of people known as, known as Christians to a bona fide believer is we recognize who we are. We recognize we're broken, we're sinful according to Scripture. We recognize what we've done. And we know that though God knows who we are and what we've done, he responds to that in love. And so we recognize the power and the necessity of confession and that word confession was one which meant we align with, we agree with what God is saying about us and, and our lives. And then, of course, we have the answer, the answer being Jesus in those first two verses of chapter two of that, uh, of that letter that John wrote. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. He is our advocate. He is the answer. He is the holy and righteous one who provides for us the way that we can have that real relationship with the Father. 
And when we are in that real relationship with the Father, even though we have not yet already arrived, we're we're not perfect, we come in here, each one of us, when we're involved in a faith community, when we're involved in a church, we come in with baggage, we have problems. But if we're not first in right relationship with God, it's, it's difficult, nearly impossible for us to be in the kind of relationship that God wants us to be with each other. And that's where we're going to go today as we talk about what does it mean for us Having been in right, having established that relationship with the Father, how do we live in an authentic relationship with one another? Though that, the, the, the aspect of that, the aspect of living in, that, in those kind of relationships is one that I think is, is, is a very uh, interesting concept. Lifeway Research recently uh, published the results of a survey. The sponsors of it were the Center for Church Revitalization and Southwest, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. And it was interesting in this survey that the majority of those in Protestant uh, denominations or non-denominational churches, and that they measured that by, by their monthly presence, monthly attendance in those churches, they agreed with two seemingly very contradictory statements. 75% of the respondents said they need other believers to help them grow in their walk with God. 75, three out of every four respondents in this survey said they needed other believers to help them grow in their walk with God. But at the same time, in the same survey, in the same pool, 65% of them said, yes, they can walk with God without other believers. It's like, and, and 38% of them uh, strongly agreed with, uh, with the first sentiment that they need others. 36% strongly agreed that they didn't need. So which is it? It's kind of confusing, those, those survey results. I read some of the comments about, those, about the results online this week, and Kenneth Priest, who's the, who's the uh, interim director for that Center of, of Church Revitalization, he said, those two statements which contradict one another highlight the need for greater discipleship in our churches. He says, I believe, this is a quote from him, this is primarily a discipleship issue. Spiritual apathy is seen in many churches due to the lack of pastors and spiritual leaders equipped to effectively preach and teach a text-driven life application of the Word of God. This needing yet not needing responses demonstrate this internal turmoil of individuals who desire community, but they don't see the church as the place to have those needs met. It's interesting, and it's kind of lived out by this reality that um, in, in, in some of those the other aspects of the responding in, those, in those, uh, that survey, the vast majority of the people said, yes, they had significant relationships with other people in their church. But at the same time that they responded that way, the minority of them said those relationships were helping them to grow in their walk with Jesus. So we might be, we're here we're kind of present with each other. We kind of know each other, but we really don't know each other, right? And so that whole reality of what it means to, to be in genuine, authentic community with one another is a, is a need for us to look at. And though we're going to hop back, those of you who have been around Calvary know that I've been kind of going in and out of Romans, and we've been kind of working our way through, and we're going to pick back up in Romans chapter 12 in the not-too-distant future. Uh, but this particular verse was just, uh, was just so uh, real 
uh, as it relates to what we're talking about that I felt like we needed to look at it. So look in the back of your notes. There you can see Romans 12 verses 9 and 10 is listed in three different translations and then the paraphrase of the Bible that is known as the message by Eugene Peterson. And so what I'd like to do, we don't do this every week, and for some of you who would despise this, no pressure, but I'd like for us to just read these aloud, okay? We're going to begin at the top, and we're going to work, down, work our way down through. Again, no pressure. You don't like to do that. Sit it out. Let your ears do the work, not your mouths. But for those of you who don't mind reading with me, let's read these all four together just to kind of drive that in to our hearts, okay? Beginning with the first one from the Christian Standard Bible. Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Outdo one another in showing honor. The second one, love should be shown without pretending. Hate evil and hold on to what is good. Love each other like the members of your family. Be the best at showing honor to each other. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. And the message, love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the call from Scripture to love genuinely and sincerely. And we pray that you would be our teacher in this moment and that we would understand God not only with our heads but, yes, also with our hearts and our wills, what it means to hear, receive, and live this calling that you have on us in the family of God. We pray these things in the great name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Over the course of time in a church's history, and as we are part of a church, there are individuals that we uh, come in contact with that impact our lives. And one of the individuals that has impacted the life of this church in a very significant way for many years is Pastor John Chin and his wife Donna. Many of you who have been around Calvary for a while have been impacted by their lives and are continuing to receive that impact, even though they, uh, John just recently retired. But uh, we have a, kind of a bittersweet thing to share with you today. Good news that the Shins uh, have sold their home here locally in the Canton area, and they are planning to relocate uh, to Atlanta to be near their daughter Megan and son-in-law and, and their children. And so we are happy for them in this, in this next phase of their life, but of course sad that uh, they won't uh, really be a regular part of our lives as much anymore, even though of course through social media and other ways we can stay contacted. But this is actually kind of their last Sunday that they're going to be here with us and they are in the room. I know I'm scanning it. I asked them to kind of like, guys, would you guys stand and wave for us? We just want to recognize you. We love you guys. You have been such a demonstration for our community uh, of what it means to be genuine lovers of others. And so we thank you. Uh, please be praying for the Shins. I believe their relocation happens in the first part of September. And so you can be praying for them. And hopefully you have a chance uh, uh, to say uh, hello to them this morning. Love. 
Let it be genuine. This is the New, New Revised Standard Version, actually. It's on the screen. Let love be genuine. The other translations there, it says, without hypocrisy, without pretending, without hypocrisy. Uh, Peterson, in his paraphrase, says, don't fake it. Let it be in the center of who you are. The word is uh, the word anapokritas, which is a, the word, the letter A is a negation. Uh, and so that means not, basically, is what it's saying. And then it comes from the root word of a, of a word known as hypocrinomai, which is uh, to impersonate or play a part, to simulate or pretend. It was a word that was used to talk about what actors on a stage did. And so in its original usage, anapokritas meant it was one who was inexperienced in the art of acting. In other words, they didn't act well. Now, you may have, all, all of you might have a, a person, a man or a woman in your mind that you don't think is a very good actor. And what they, were, what they were saying is basically they can't play the part well. And that's exactly what Paul, as he writes to the Roman believers, is asking them to do. Don't play a part. Do it. And as you can see in the New Testament, it came to mean unfeigned, sincere, genuine, or without hypocrisy. You see, in the, in the ancient Greek theater, they wore masks. And they wore masks for several reasons. They, the masks were symbolic of Thalia, who was the muse of comedy, and Melpomene, which is, I wanted to say Melope instead of Melpomene. Uh, he was the muse of, of tragedy. And these masks were used to exaggerate expressions. They helped to define the character. Uh, they allowed the actors to play more than one role or, or uh, a role that was not in line with their gender. Uh, they also were able to, to the, part of the reason was to communicate the happy and sad emotions of wine drinking uh, in the ancient culture. And they also were there for the audience members to see who they were. So if you were up in the nosebleed section, you could see because of the, of the mask that they wore, the expressions they were using, the character that they were kind of trying to represent. So when we use the cliche, take the mask off, it has a very real and ancient tradition to it. That's exactly what Paul is telling the Romans to do with each other. When you are with each other, remove the mask. You're an inexperienced actor. Don't play the part. Don't be insincere. Let it be without hypocrisy. And so that word is how we live our lives with each other. We don't live it with the mask on. But we love one another sincerely. We love from the center, as Peterson said, of who we are. And so I would suggest to you, now again, as I often say, the list I'm about to share in these four aspects, they're kind of like four areas that we need to consider in our own lives if we're going to be able to live out this call to love one another sincerely from the place of our center. If we're going to do that, I think there's four, at least four. These might not be the best four. It's certainly not an exhaustive list. But I hope these four provide a little bit of an insight for you, challenge for you, for all of us, as we, again, what we're, what we're talking about is developing that culture of authenticity, that culture of being real. The first thing is our identity. That is, guess who you need to be? You simply have to be you. <laughs> I know that sounds ridiculously simple, and I, I want to be very careful here. This is not an excuse 
for us to act however we want and then say to each other, well, that's just how I am, right? It doesn't excuse rudeness and it doesn't excuse being harsh and it doesn't excuse being unloving. It doesn't excuse any sinful kind of behavior. Well, that's just who I am. But there is this recognition that each one of us are fearfully and wonderfully made, right? According to scripture. You and I, neither of us, and none of us in this room are accidents. Yes, I recognize that we came together, uh, that we, we were formed, each one of us, by the unique union of a man and a woman, and what the, the DNA that came into that, I understand it's a very, there's a very human component to it, but it, by, our, by our faith, we believe there is also a divine component to that, too, as, as well. That we all, we have been created in the image of God. And so every one of us as human beings bear the image of God. That is our identity. So not only do we recognize that we're, we're created, and what does that mean? Well, we have different, of course, we're all different ages, different races, ethnicities, socioeconomic levels, levels of educational attainment. Our occupations are different. Our interests are, say, are different. Our personalities are different. And that is something not to be, to be like diminished, but celebrated. I long for a day that we become more and more and more diverse in all of those areas, according to race, according to socioeconomics. I don't want to, us to be the fill-in-the-blank church, the this church, the church where all the whatever, their occupation or their race or their, or their socioeconomic status, that all those kind of people go. Instead, we should be a reflection of the incredible mosaic of, of, of individuals that live within our community. That should be our desire because we recognize that there's value in embracing the identity of, of others. That uniqueness is to be celebrated, not hated, not despised, not to, something that we should be annoyed by, but instead celebrated. The second aspect of that, of that reality, yes, that we are created and, and that the, the, the me that I need to be is simply me. Remember that not only have we in the body of Christ been created, but we've been recreated in the image of God. Right? We are being formed into the person uh, and to the likeness of Christ Jesus. Right? We're being grown more and more as we, as we grow together in the Word, as we walk in the Spirit. And yes, I believe as we take that next step and don't just know each other, know each other's names, but we actually come alongside one another, we're spurring one another on in our journey with Christ Jesus. And so we remember that that means for us, when, and, that, and that's why it's so unfortunate that the majority of the people say, yes, I have significant relationships. They know me. They've accepted me. But those significant relations, relationships aren't becoming transformational relationships within the body. That's the next step for us to recognize that we play a role in each other's spiritual transformation. If it wasn't, why do we have the church? Just for a place for the world to know that we believe in Jesus like because we go to a, a special building once a week? That can't be the case, and that's not what Scripture argues, I would suggest to you either. So identity has to do, yes, with the uniqueness of each one of us and celebrating that, excuse me, and, and uh, not uh, um, holding each other in disdain because of our differences, but also it's about understanding the recreation, the new identity that we have in Jesus and leaning into that. And let's also, again, say it a second time to remember, this does not give us carte blanche for being destructive and simply saying, 
well, I'm sorry, that's just how I am. That's not, in the, uh, that's not the reality of what we've been called to in Christ Jesus. This idea, though, of the risk that we take. Remember I shared with you that, that quote where uh, Johnny Cash said that, you know, being real gets you hated. And I, I think that that risk that we oftentimes think of, if somebody really knows me, somebody really knows me, there's lots of movies that are based on, if you really knew me, you wouldn't like me. We find out the gar- if you find out the garbage in my life, there's a contemporary song out now by Max Schneider. Some of you know Max. Some of you don't listen to any pop music, and that's okay. And some of you know the song Love Me Less by Max, the artist Max. Full name is Max Schneider, and he says things like this. He said, would you love me less if you knew the places that I've been? If you knew the damage that, I've, that I did? Would you love me less if I had a dollar for my sins? I'm happy you never saw me in college. Blood on my hands that I refuse to acknowledge. That's why I get lightheaded, thin ice that I'm treading. Would you love me less if you knew the real me? That's the heart of it, right? Heart of that pop song is if you, if you knew the real me, you're probably going to love me less. We have to, as, as followers, of Je- followers of Jesus, We have to be willing to take the risk of putting ourselves out there and helping people understand the journey that we're on. Will some people maybe love you less? It might happen. There's no guarantee that it won't. But I think it's worth taking the risk for us to live out that call from Romans 12 that love would be genuine, not pretend, not fake, not hypocritical, but real. The second aspect of this idea of, of, uh, of living out our, 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 um, our faith with each other is the aspect of our emotional health. Our emotional health. I think that it's a very real thing that it's very difficult for us to be spiritually healthy when we are emotionally unhealthy. I think there are too many of us in the church that have never learned how to deal with anger and disappointment, never learned how to deal with sadness and fear. And sometimes the message we get from the church is to repress or stuff our emotions or don't acknowledge our emotions or all emotions are bad. Even though Jesus displayed emotions, the Father displayed emotions, and we're called to not grieve the Holy Spirit. Even though it seems that the divine, the the triune God himself is an emotional being, and even though he has designed us to experience emotions, it's almost as if we don't know what to do with that. We don't know how to handle that. One author by the name of Peter Scazzaro wrote a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And, and in the logo and in the image that you oftentimes see is associated with this, and you might be a little bit familiar with, that, with this, it's got some traction in the Christian community now. It's this idea of what we really allow people to see, right? We allow people to see the tip. But then underneath, there's all this stuff, and we can, again, and that's those things of our emotions and our, and our, our sometimes, again, our fears and our sadness. And, 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 and due to this, uh, this, this, very, this fear about l- allowing people to get to know us really, we begin to kind of like just keep them below the surface and keep them hidden. 
Scazzaro learned the hard way. He said, hard way he, he and his own, own words were, he said, I can't be spiritually mature while I remain emotionally immature. This is his own journey. Even though he was a pastor of a growing church, he did what a lot of us do. He avoided conflict in the name of Christianity. He ignored his anger. He ignored his sadness. He ignored his fear. He, he used God to run from God, and he, and he lived without boundaries. Eventually, God awakened his heart to a biblical integration of emotional health, a relationship with Jesus, and the classic practices of contemplative spirituality that I've talked about a couple of weeks ago, like meditation, fasting, prayer, all those kind of things. It created in his life nothing short of what he says is a spiritual revolution that transformed him and it ultimately transformed his church. So in this book that bears that title, he outlines his journey, talks about his own journey, and then also uh, gives some signs of an emotionally unhealthy spirituality. And by the way, you can visit the website and you can take, I believe, what's about a 15-minute test and uh, get some results about your own emotional health. That's something you can do on your own to kind of do some self-diagnosis, some self-reflection about where are you at in your own emotional health. Because that certainly impacts the way you relate in this community of faith known as Calvary Baptist Church. He also provides some time-tested ways to break through into this revolutionary life. It's basically about providing the ability for us to be self-aware, to love well from a place of health and spiritual strength, not a place of dysfunction. It has to do with this deep or this beneath the service spiritual formation paradigm that integrates that, again, that emotional health and our contemplative spirituality. And again, a lot of times we like to think that, well, that our, our emotional health doesn't have any impact on our faith, on our faith community. It absolutely does. And I would just suggest to you that that's one of the areas that if we are really going to be authentic and genuine and sincere with one another, it's worth us doing the work in this And I'm not saying I'm an expert on it. In fact, I'm probably a little more lean on the side of stuffing and denying and all that kind of stuff rather than being open about really those emotional unhealth issues that are in my own life. Thirdly, these are some hard things for us to look at. But again, identity, emotional health. How about the way we like to talk about spiritual failure with each other? Anybody super excited about that one? Again, what did that, back to that survey. I know them, they know me, but probably they're not confessing their sins to one another, right? If they're not really seeing them as one who could help them grow in their faith. James chapter 5, verse 16, some of you, uh, some of you know that verse. It says, uh, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. When we recognize that we have sin, just like John taught us and like James says, we don't rationalize it. We don't defend ourselves. We don't deny it. We don't cover it up. We don't make excuses. We confess. Do we confess to our Father? Absolutely. But I believe that there is a power when we share these things in appropriate settings, in appropriate settings, with people that we, we feel safe with, when we share those things with one another, there is a power there because there's the power of community. Is that person, is that person sitting in that room or across the, uh, the table in that coffee shop, are they the one who is going to provide the ultimate and absolute forgiveness the way God does? No. 
But if you've hurt them, to seek to confess your sin to them and seek forgiveness is a healthy and good thing. Or if you're struggling with something and there's another brother or sister who knows you're struggling with it, they can be praying for you. They can be holding you accountable. They can do that out of love and grace, yes. But they can do it in a manner where it's kind of like Jesus with the skin on, right? Or God with the skin on. Somebody present in your life. There's a lot of courage required to be people who confess our sins to each other. It's that next level stuff. It's that beneath the surface stuff. And again, not every setting is appropriate for that to occur. But in those settings where it is, I would suggest to you that's one of the key aspects for us to have a culture that's real and not just one that lives with a mask remaining on, playing the part, being the good actor, having the face that everybody expects a Christian to have versus the one that's really beneath the surface. The fourth aspect has to do with our convictions. What do I mean by that? I mean those things that we hold very dear, very, uh, we, we feel very passionately about. Two things I would say about this, uh, this area and how it, it, it either can uh, help with authenticity or take away from it. When it comes to our convictions, yes, we need to stand strong. We need to know what we believe and we need to live from that place of, live from a place of of strong connection to that belief. But I also would remind you that we need to stand with grace and recognize not every conviction that we have personally is going to be held with the same passion by every other follower of Jesus. Paul knew that. Paul knew that very thing. And he wrote to the Romans, again, back in, uh, in, in the, the book that we're looking at today, back in uh, chapter 14, he talks at the beginning of, of Romans about accepting the weak brother and how the strong brother needs to accept the weak brother, and there are going to be differences of opinion on everything. And I want to simply, for the interest of time, call your attention to, to, to verse 14 of Romans chapter 14. He says, as one who is in the Lord Jesus, this is Paul speaking, I am fully convinced that no food in itself is unclean. That's his conviction. I am fully convinced that there is no food that I can't eat. That's his conviction, right? Now, listen as he continues. I'll start again at the beginning just so you can get the full context. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that there is no food in itself, that, I'm sorry, that no food in itself is unclean. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. We don't have to agree on that, Paul says. But he also goes on to say that I'm not going to use my freedom to hurt a brother or sister. Uh, that's, not, that's not the heart of who I am. And so does he have a strong conviction about what he can eat? Yes. Paul says, I can eat whatever I want. It doesn't matter. But that doesn't mean just because I feel that way, if Rich feels a particular way about that and feels completely the opposite of me, I can be okay with that. He says the same thing about Sabbath days. Some of you, because you grew up Jewish, you think one day is holy. Some of you think every day is holy. Guess what? You're both right. We have forgotten how to do that in evangelicalism. 
Now, we may not be, some of us err on one side or the other. We either can be like super angry and put our beliefs out there and, right, and belittle other people who don't believe like we do, or we can kind of be passive aggressive about it and say, well, we really don't think that they're real kind of Christians, but we won't really say anything because I don't want to appear to be divisive even though I really feel that way. Being real says, listen, Mike, you're, you think differently on this? This is the thing we're going to have to agree to disagree on, but more, most importantly, we're brothers in the Lord. That takes maturity. That takes work. That's real community that goes beneath the surface. See, we're not all going to have the same convictions about every aspect out there. I know I've went kind of long today. I apologize for that. But I hope that in these minutes that we've focused on this, it's begun to scratch the surface a little bit for you about how do I take the next step in my relationships with my brothers and sisters? And could one of these areas be one of challenge for you as you focus on how you can grow more and more in Christ Jesus to live out this call from Paul in, in Romans chapter 12? And let me just read that again as I close. Love should be without pretending. Hate what is evil and hold on to what is good. Love each other's. Love each other like the members of your family. Be the best at showing honor to each other. We're going to pray and then Rich is going to come up and close us out with a song of worship. So as they prepare to do that, would you guys stand with me and let's bow our heads together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for being the God who loves us to the degree that you want us to be in relationship with you and not just some religious sort of activity, but God in genuine relationship with you. And out of that context, we're actually able to know each other, to love each other, to love each other in the way in which you've loved us, to love each other with, full of grace to love each other full of passion. And God, I pray that we would grow in that sort of authentic community. It won't happen overnight. And Lord God, it may be, <laughs> the reality is that many, unfortunately, may opt out of that kind of calling that you have on their life. But I pray right now that there would be some in this room today, God, that are sensing your call to allow ourselves to be known beneath the surface. We would see each other as a gift to one another and that we would see each other as an incredible resource for our spiritual growth and transformation. Thank you for the body of Christ. Thank you for the family of God. May we learn more and more what it means to live in love with each other. According to Jesus, in his name we pray. Amen.